This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Hello and thanks for downloading today's podcast. I'm Jamie Long. It's Thursday the 7th of April. And first today, P&O Ferries is hoping to resume services between Dover and Calais next week as major travel disruption continues. Extra measures known as Operation Brock Zero have been brought in to try and ease queues on the M20. Drivers have faced days of delays trying to cross the channel and it's also affecting local roads in the county. Chris Parker is Director of Capacity at DFDS Seaways. He's told the Kent Online podcast it's been a challenge to keep up with extra demand. It has been quite a challenge, uh, I think it's fair to say. Uh, our, our staff in the ports and, and on board have done a, a brilliant job in trying to make sure that we can take as much traffic as possible. Um, we've been running the ships as fast as we can. We've been filling the vessels. You know, we, we load and discharge in 42 minutes. The ship comes in, goes out in that time. And, and it's, you know, we're, we're loading 100, 150 trucks in that time. So they've done a fantastic job uh, under a great deal of pressure. And, you know, the first thing I'd like to say is, you know, thanks to them. Uh, they've really, really helped. Um, unfortunately, of course, you know, we still have congestion because we can take a certain amount. Um, we have, we've really been running full. Uh, but once we're full, then the, the, we've, we've got limited opportunities. Um, one thing we have done is we, we, we've seen quite a bit of traffic move to our unaccompanied route out of Sheerness. So that's been a bit of a, a safety valve for, for some of the traffic. But of course, you know, it can't take everything that's, that, that's waiting to travel across Kent's roads. And you mentioned there about the, the pressure on staff. Um, what, in terms of practically taking on that extra workload, what has that meant? What extra jobs have they had to be doing? Well, they've been doing, you know, a sterling job. They've obviously explained, explaining to customers what they need to do, but also, you know, taking uh, customers from from P&O uh, and, and taking them on our ferries, explaining what they need to do, to, you know, moving those bookings across and, and just simply extra demand. You know, we've just seen a huge spike in, in bookings uh, coming direct to us as well, both both in, in terms of freight and, and passenger traffic. So, you know, where we would ordin- ordinarily have peak times during the week, We've just been running at a peak uh, pretty much throughout the week. And, and it's, it is, of course, very tiring for, for the staff. They, they've just done a, a terrific job. Um, how long do you anticipate this disruption to, to last? Well, it, it, it's obviously difficult to, to sort of judge the future. Um, I, I think when I uh, was first interviewed on this subject, which was three weeks ago, you know, the, the question was asked, you know, how long would, will this last? And I said, I, I, I don't know. And, and I, I have to be honest, to a degree, I, I'd, have, I'd have to say I don't know even now. Um, I obviously don't know what P&O's plans are or when we will see their vessels come back in. Uh, all we can do is look at our own, uh, you know, options and, and our own ability to respond. I think in terms of uh, congestion, at the moment, we've got, uh, you know, both the freight demand and, of course, the peak Easter traffic for, for passengers. And I think that obviously adds to the complexity of the situation. Um, once we get past Easter and the passenger traffic drops down again, then I won't say that we're going to have no congestion, but it will become slightly easier to manage. Well, lorry driver Dave Anderson is from Folkestone. He's been stuck in Dover Tap on the A20 on his way to Belgium. Ever since the P&O debacle, um, it's every single day. The amount of trucks coming in and trying to leave the UK is just astronomical. It's overwhelming. 
you know, you can't blame the, the, the drivers. They're just doing their jobs. The infrastructure is not in place. And um, unfortunately, our lovely Kent police have insufficient resources to police the roads to stop the uh, flyers as they are. They're, they're coming past me left, right and centre here in lane two, which is the outside lane on the uh, last stretch of the M20 here, I to A20, um, to try to jump, jump the queue. And there is absolutely zero policing to stop them doing it. It's madness. It's absolutely madness. And I honestly, I've sat in this queue now since... 8 o'clock this morning, it's now 10.15, um, not a police car in sight. You shuffle, um, do 100 yards, stop, sit there for another hour, 100 yards, stop, sit there for another half an hour. It's, uh, you know, queuing for truck drivers is, is a given thing. You, we queue everywhere we go, but it's a given thing. But the way it's handled in the UK is just diabolical. Absolutely nobody has thought this through. Absolutely no one. I'm going to um, Vander, Vanderbilt um, Caterpillar in, in Zeebrugge via Calais, obviously, uh, or I might try and get a ship to Dunkirk tonight and uh, pick up two Caterpillar diggers and then come back to the UK. Um, highly unlikely I'll even get back for the weekend, which is frustrating. This beggars belief, really. Um, I mean, Doverport is overwhelmed. Uh, the, uh, I don't understand... The, you know, I've been a, a truck driver ever since I left the army some 30 years ago, and, and we've never had this amount of trucks coming into the UK. Are, are we importing every single thing we use in this, this country? Uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of trucks that are coming into the UK, and our infrastructure, our roads, are simply not up to it. It's not so stressful sitting in a queue. It's a given. What's frustrating is these idiots going up the outside. At the end of the day, they're breaking the law. The signs on this road clearly state no HGVs in the outside lane unless local. You'll find one truck driver will get so frustrated, he'll see a truck coming up on the outside lane in his mirror, and he'll pull out and try to block them. That truck won't be able to stop, and there'll be a massive accident. Meanwhile, a former P&O Ferries worker is suing the company for up to £76 million. John Lansdowne was one of hundreds of workers sacked without notice to be replaced by cheaper agency workers. Well, he's suing the company for unfair dismissal, racial discrimination and harassment. He's told the Kent Online podcast people in Dover are also suffering. The tribunal claim that I have filed is intended to bring Peter Hebblethwaite and those responsible that P&O ferries to justice and make them accountable for their unlawful action. Their grotesque disregard for due process in this country will set a dangerous precedent if allowed to stand. Everyone in this country has a vested interest in not allowing the unscrupulous actions of P&O ferries to stand. Every just and fair-minded person in this country is asked to support my campaign for justice, both for myself and all other affected seafarers, both now and in the future, and their families. I've taken a claim against P&O Ferries for wrongful dismissal and for discrimination and for the harassing nature of the dismissals themselves. And tell me what your situation is like now. How has it left things for you? So my current circumstances is, you know, to continue this, this, this campaign for justice, both for myself and all other affected seafarers, both now and in the future, and their families. I, I feel very angry when I see what is happening at the Do- in Dover at the moment. The, the residents of Dover 
and the surrounding areas are having this inexcusable imposition of traffic chaos put upon them. And that's largely caused by the absence of uh, four P&O ferries vessels that would usually be making dozens of trips a day across the channel. And they're not there at the moment. So that, that's, that's the main factor in the build-up of traffic that you're seeing on your TV screens around Dover and surrounding areas. And what impact has that day had on you since the sackings? The impact of the day of the sackings uh, not only meant that we lost our jobs as well, but we were kicked out of our homes. We spent more time on those ships than what we did with our own friends and family. And the, the people that we, we sailed with on those ships, we saw them as our you know, seafaring family. So we've had our seafaring family ripped apart. We've been kicked out of our homes that we spend half the year in, as well as our jobs. It's grotesque. It's extremely distressing for a lot of people, myself included. And some of my um, former colleagues are already experiencing mental health issues over this. It's extremely sad. Well, the Transport Secretary is promising action to close loopholes which allowed Pierdo to sack 800 staff with no notice and replace them with lower-paid agency workers. Tim Sharp is from the TUC union who says the measures don't go far enough. I think what the, the P&O scandal has told us, if it's told us anything, is that um, some bad bosses, particularly those with, with deep pockets, don't follow the law unless they are absolutely forced to. Now, new rules on the minimum wage for seafarers are, are definitely welcome, but it, they have to, it has to be backed up by, by robust enforcement. And as it stands, the key enforcement body, which is HM Revenue and Customs, doesn't have the right to, bo- to board vessels. So we think the government has to do a lot more than just, just pass some extra rules. It has to make sure that those, those rules are followed and there's a lot of work to do. So what we're calling for is um, greater powers for HM Revenue and Customers Inspectors to board the vessels to check that minimum wage is, is being paid. We think there should also be framework agreements at both ends of a route um, between employers and, and workers and a role for, for trade unions to ensure those wage rates are being adhered to. We think there should, as well as that, be a lot more um, a lot more inspectors and a lot more funding for enforcement more generally to ensure that the minimum wage is being adhered to both on ships and and on land in a a range of sectors. And and we think there should be specific training, um, a lot more specific training for HMRC um, staff in enforcing the maritime minimum wage rules. Scandalised words from from ministers are one thing, but they're not going to make any difference to workers' lives unless there are robust enforcement mechanisms behind them. So it's really welcome that the government is taking a step um, or taking these steps on improving minimum wage rules, but they're going to mean absolutely nothing if, if bosses can simply ignore them. So that's why we need, we need far more action. We need, we need greater enforcement. We need specialist HMRC um, inspectors and they need the powers to board vessels. We need unions to have and employers to be agreeing wage rates at either end of a route and for unions to be, to be enforcing them. And we need the government to be a lot more serious about 
enforcement of workers' rights more generally, and that's got to mean a lot more inspectors. You know, we're, we're emerging from, from a pandemic here. We should be thinking about how do we ensure that workers get decent work where they're, where they're right and where their rights are respected. Um, that's not going to happen unless the government take, takes a stand. And at the moment, yes, ministers have said that they've expressed some outrage, but it's got to be backed up with robust action. And so far, they haven't shown their willingness to do that. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Elsewhere today, a man's been seriously injured after falling from a bridge near Maidstone. Police and paramedics were called to Hollingbourne near the M20 at about nine this morning. He's been flown to hospital for treatment. A family home in Herne Bay has been severely damaged in a fire which left a woman in her 30s in hospital. Crews were called to a house on London Road yesterday afternoon and spent more than six hours tackling the flames. The first floor and roof have been completely destroyed and the ground floor is badly damaged. The blaze is thought to have started accidentally. A Gillingham man's been banned from keeping animals after 23 dogs were found in appalling conditions. Inspectors visited a property on Gillingham Road last month and discovered some in small crates without water and with untreated injuries. The 27-year-old's also been given a 12-month community order and told to pay £600 in court costs. Kent Online News. Now, new research shows Kent has the third longest driving test backlog in the UK. Lessons and exams were put on hold during various lockdowns and the system is struggling to catch up. According to latest data, there are more than 4,800 learners waiting to book a test in the county. Stuart Leslie is an instructor with A-Class Driving School in Ashford. Through the backlog of lockdown, there are, I think, nine months out of 13 months that we weren't allowed to test and we weren't allowed to uh, to deliver lessons, which is, yeah, it's, just, it's been a massive, massive backlog into the industry. Anybody who turned 17 during that period obviously wasn't allowed to start. Anybody who was offered different job opportunities throughout that period also went onto waiting lists. So trying to find instructors to get, tra- to get trained and, and more importantly, trying to find tests once they were ready. One of the biggest frustrations was the the average for learning to drive uh, according to DVSA is about 48 hours but there's people who learn to drive in 10 and we can't get tests for them it's been a very very frustrating time to try and balance things because I've just said people people will become test ready quicker than others and we can't get their tests so we're then down to two options number one is we stop lessons for a while and then perhaps standards will drop and we've got to try and pick those standards back up going into test or number two, we carry on having lessons where we're not learning anything and we're just hitting people's money. We're hitting the pocket. And it's and that's that to me is not good for business. It's not a good model. It's not a good way we should be. We're out there to teach people, not just to take money off them. What's it like for younger people, sort of teenagers who've just turned 17 and are, you know, maybe excited about learning to drive? Maybe they need their car to get to their job or to get to school or college. And, you know, this must be so frustrating for them. It is, and there's a lot of pressure put on them, especially now that they've had this backlog and they want to start driving at 17. They've had to wait till they're 18, 9, 10, 11, 12 months down the line, they can start practicing. And then the backlogs for the test puts probably another eight months into the program. So that does restrict job opportunities. It puts pressure on parents that have got to go out and pick them up from work. So yeah, there's, there's this huge, huge knock-on effects as well. But also one of the biggest things that we've seen 
is it puts so much anxiety going into test on the pressure of passing the test first time because they're not successful today they're booking another test for 24 weeks time and that just puts so much pressure on that causes the silly mistakes that lead to the fail that then fuels the problem at the end of the day learning to drive is a big task it's a huge huge multitask and and yeah when you've got the anxieties and the frustrations added on top of that it does it does lead to these uh, these breakdowns in mental welfare and mental health that we talk about and we hear about on a regular basis prior to covid certainly in ashford we were booking tests six maybe eight weeks ahead and there was always going to be cancellation slots there was always going to be a case of yeah we can get a test in two weeks but now we book a test for 24 weeks and you're lucky if you can get any kind of of, uh, of cancellation because the apps are just snapping them up lessons aren't cheap these days it's a very very big balance of 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 do you do lessons fortnightly? Do you drop down to three weekly, monthly? Do you say, right, I'm not going to see you for three months and then we pick up again? And and yeah, who knows what's going to happen? And just finally then, what would your advice be to someone who's learning to drive and, you know, is is facing these delays and thinking, you know, am I ready to take my test? And like you said, that pressure of feeling like you want to pass first time to avoid the long wait. Um, what advice would you give to help them out? I would recommend, given the timescales at the moment, do all of your theory work first. Get your license done and applied for, get a theory test booked, get some theory, some theory training, some theory practice. And once you've passed your theory test, then the program can start. We say we're 24 weeks into booking a test. So that's when we can start driver training and looking towards an end goal. Well, Charlie Spalding learned to drive in Ashford during the pandemic and told the Kent Online podcast the test was a stressful experience. So when I was learning to drive, I started just before the pandemic kicked off. Um, so obviously I had a massive break in learning to drive when the lockdown came in March. Um, and with that, then came a very big delay in getting back into the car which uh, offset quite a few things. Um, but I didn't have an issue when I did my theory because I got that done before the pandemic became an issue. But what it did do was massively delay the booking process of tests. You could get in the cars, but you couldn't book your tests. And um, from there, it just really just kept getting knocked on and on and on and on. And you end up spending a lot more than you wanted to learning to drive because I think it took till September before tests became available um, to get booked. And that just added more stress in being able to get a test booked. But not only that, was your theory certificate going to be in date by the time your test came around? Now, a Herbay restaurant, which was given a one food hygiene rating, has turned things around after being awarded four stars in a recent inspection. Baker kebabs and burgers in the high street was found to have no soap in the shop, while raw meat was being stored next to cheese and salads. The owner says it was a misunderstanding and says things have now been rectified. And at Kent Online, you can read all about one of Kent's most popular architects. Guy Holloway designed some of the county's most recognisable landmark buildings, including the Rock Salt restaurants in Herne Bay and the new F51 skate park in Folkestone. There are lots of pictures over on our website. Well, that's all for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also subscribe to the ad-free premium version of Kent Online for exclusive content. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. 
news you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.